All right, that's all I got today. Let's dive in and be useful and productive. Romans chapter 6, we are going to finish this chapter. I have said it, so I have decreed, so it shall be done. There we go. All right, if you go back, because remember, you can't do anything in Romans without, you know, picking up where you were last time. It just, it's how the book works. I didn't do it. Blame Paul and his lack of grammatical structure, okay? It's like one giant thought. (laughs) You just have to think of it like that. So from last week, you know what the answer is not. So whatever the question is, hey, should we do this and see if we get away with it? The answer is no, no, don't do that. That's the bad answer. You know the why. You are dead to sin. You are alive in Christ. All right, pause. I'm going to try to remember to bring this up again later, but on the off chance that I am not explicitly clear with it, you cannot understand the second half of this chapter if you forget what I just said, that you are dead to sin and alive in Christ. If you forget your standing as the Christian based on the completed works of Christ, you will misunderstand and misinterpret what Paul is teaching about the functions of living and the law and everything that comes after chapter after this part of the book into chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 and probably 11 too. Okay? You, you just if you forget Jesus you're doomed, which probably, if we're going to put something on a coffee mug, I think that should be it, right? That that applies to a lot more things in life. You forget Jesus, you're doomed. <laughs> you know, apply it as you will to your peril. So as, as you go through this, remember, this is built upon the idea that Christ has actually accomplished something. You have been changed. He will remind you of that as it builds forward, but that is, nece- as a, that is a necessity to your remembrance. Now, why then do you need to know that, and why is the rest of this chapter here? Because you can't just tell people that you're dead to sin and alive in Christ and be like, all right, have fun. You can't do the Billy Crystal, have fun storming the castle. We'll wait right here. You know, Let me know how this works out for you guys. You actually have to build that out, and this is one of the reasons, again, why Romans is so much fun, at least for me. And remember the rules. I don't care what happens with you guys. I have fun on a Sunday morning, so that's all that matters. So I'm kidding about that. (laughs) Yes, I am. I want you to enjoy this and learn something. See, that's how this works. Um, The second half of this chapter is to build out what this actually means in practice, how you put flesh on life. Again, the the, the book of Romans is written so that you don't have questions about this, so that your questions are answered. Because the Holy Spirit is looking down going, you know, probably be a good idea if these people actually, you know, had all the answers to these theological questions and, or laid out in a nice orderly fashion where it makes sense from beginning to end, hence the book of Romans. So, what does it mean to be in Christ, who is serving God, who is bringing you along for the ride, and who is actually redeeming a people unto something? That's what the rest of this is going to be. So let's dive into verse 12. Therefore, see, that's why you had to have all that other stuff. So because of who you are, because Christ is serving God, and you in Christ are also supposed to be serving God, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you would obey its lusts. So I'm going to summarize this really easy. Because you are actually transformed by Christ, you should live in such a way that it looks like you are transformed. Right? That, that, that's, how this, that's how this actually works. This is the old, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say. If you've actually been changed of Christ, it should look like you are changed of Christ. This is back to Romans 6.11. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And it's not just Paul. So 1 Peter 1. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Because of why you stand in the kingdom should actually have bearing on who you are and how you live. So it's the thing I'm always reminding you of. Ask yourself, who are you and why are you this way? Because when you understand that, there should actually be some effect on you to understand what was accomplished for you to be who you are in Christ. And then what does that mean going forward? See, that simple uh, realization should have been enough to answer the, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? Because like, just, well, have you looked at Jesus lately? So can you honestly look at Jesus and what he has done for his people and go, you know, it'll be fine. I can just do whatever. It'll be, it'll be fine. See, that should have been enough of an answer, but you know, what will we corrupt again? <laughs> there you go. 
So, and by the way, if you want a good summary of this, something like Philippians 3. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things unto himself. So, because you are transformed, because you are dead to sin and alive to Christ, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Notice there's a comma there. So, verse 13. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So, if you go back to the conclusion of last week, this is this buildup. Because Christ is, is serving God and you and Christ are following after him, you should also be serving God. Now, by definition, if there is no variation nor shifting shadow nor sin in God and you are seeking to serve God and honor the Christ who is perfect, then what should the goal of your life be? So, so we rejoice in our sin and wallow in it, right? No, see, that should have also been enough to answer the question. Once again, this is why you have the entirety of your New Testament. When it comes to humanity's ability to twist and contort things, we are, we are unequaled in all creation. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. The dog doesn't lie to himself about the food, does he? Like, if the dog doesn't like the food you put down, what does he do? He doesn't eat it. He just walks away. If he really likes the food you put down, what does he do? He eats it. And not only does he eat some of it, he eats all of it. And if you give him too much, he'll eat how much of too much? Oh, we used to have a beagle that would do this, would drive you up a wall. If you've never owned a beagle, um, one, do not have neighbors. We were not prepared for this. Um, the, the neighbors will pull into the driveway, and for no reason, in a perfectly quiet house, there will be someone three houses down doing something, and all of a sudden just... <laughs> At nothing. Just you look to the window, be like, it's four houses down. She would sit in the window, howl at the neighbors, and then run away like, I know I wasn't supposed to do that, but I can't help myself. So don't get the beagle. But if you do get the beagle, don't have neighbors and um, have lots of food. They're ultimately food motivated. If you put down something that dog would like, that dog would eat it and eat it and eat it. You could actually watch her stomach swell, and then she would throw up, and then she would go back to the thing that she liked and still continue to eat. It's like a Roman binge and purge thing. It was the most bizarre thing. See, the dog's not going to lie to itself. It's not going to be like, you know, this is delicious, and I have had enough, and I don't enjoy this any longer. It tastes good, therefore I'm going to do what? I'm going to keep eating it. No, we are unique in creation in that we will look at something that we know is bad for us and say what? I'll be fine. <laughs> it'll be fine. It'll be fun. I'll in yeah, just, just, just. As, as I always tell you, nobody ever buys the Oreos and goes, I'll just have one. <laughs> then walk away and then the and then the cat then the cookies sit in the cabinet until the end of time, right? <laughs> yeah, that's never happened. Not once, not ever. Fine. Exactly. <laughs> not that we're counting. So because you are alive in Christ and because Christ is presenting himself as a righteous offering, you are to be presenting yourself as a righteous offering. Colossians 3. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And again, I point this out. It's not just Paul. So go back to 1 Peter, this time chapter 2. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, that's Jesus, by the way, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live live to righteousness, for by his wounds you are healed. 
This is the reminder. This is what Paul is trying to make sure you keep in the front of your mind. Because if you lose this idea that you are seeking righteousness because you are now righteous in Christ. If you lose that idea, <sighs> there be dragons, okay? This is, this is, again, the danger of humanity. This is one of those places where what we do here on a Sunday morning intersects with where my Sunday school class is. The human temptation is to take any call for goodness and righteousness and make that the accomplishment. That you be the center. Because again, who's the most important person in my world? I mean, let's be honest. As you live in this planet, who's, who's number one? Yeah. <laughs> if only that actually occurred that way. Who are you again? <laughs> no. This becomes the breakdown. So when you give me a standard that is meant to drive me to righteousness, is meant to show me how I accomplish righteousness, what do I do with it? I make it the standard for how I am righteous. And that's a subtle distinction in Christianity, but it is a vital one. You are not good because you have done good. You are good because Christ is good and you are in Christ. Because Christ is good and you are in Christ, you are doing Good. Do you understand the distinction there? If you miss that, it sounds, it, I know I'm, I'm like trying to draw a fine line here and I'm hammering this point, but if you miss that, the whole rest of this chapter, just wee, Thelma and Louise right off the cliff, you know, it's no good to anyone. If you haven't seen that movie again, you're a better person, so be glad. <laughs> so here we go. Verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, Paul, how are you helping me out with this? Okay, this is going to become a fine argument that Paul is making here that he will expand later on. So we're going to cover this twice in Romans. Why? Because Paul covers it twice in Romans. Don't shoot me, shoot the messenger. So when you hunt down Paul, you get to argue with him, okay? All right, just making sure we cover that. So this is where we're going to get technical on you. There are multiple aspects of the law. There are multiple reasons why the law exists. So number one is the most obvious one that you understand when you think about biblical law. What we call the first use of the law is the mirror. It is meant to show you your unrighteousness. Now real quick because we'll cover this again in a second. The second use of the law is what we call the civic use of the law. This is like speed limits. It is meant to curb your behavior by an outside authority. The third use of the law is now a demonstration of God's righteousness, a way to demonstrate to you what your righteousness in this place should look like. So what we're dealing with here, sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Paul is referring to what we would call the first use of the law. What is the purpose of the law being a mirror to demonstrate your sin? Galatians 3. The law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Now, we covered that a few chapters ago with Paul, and we, we made mention of this, but I'm going to tell you the good news now. You have graduated from this step, supposedly. <laughs> you have been promoted. You, in Christ, do not need the law to demonstrate your sin. You are aware of it. Where is the law? It is written upon your heart. You know what is right. You know what is good. The Holy Spirit is kicking you in the butt, dragging you through the sand, making sure you will accomplish the goodness that is given to you. You know what is supposed to be done. You know what is not supposed to be done. And because you are in Christ, you have been driven to the Savior by your iniquity. Now, are you still being driven to the Savior day by day? Yes, but not because you are discovering something new, because you are recognizing the perfections in your life and where they are not in trying to accomplish them. But this is that sanctification path we're always talking about. So this is the first law. You are not, first use rather, you are not supposed to have sin mastering you because you are in Christ. You are dead to sin. Christ has borne the penalty. The function of the law should not be for you to wake up each day and discover that there's some new thing you should be freaked out about. You already knew there was going to be a new thing. You already knew there was going to be sin. It's not like you just woke up on Tuesday and be like, I thought I was perfect, and today I discovered that I wasn't. <sighs> if only, right? So you have gone to Christ. You have been driven there. So this um, rewind again to the early part of the chapter. If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, 
in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we no longer so we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin like sin can't come after you anymore when you die well you have died in Christ you are buried with him in death raised to walk in the newness of life this is our baptismal formula therefore you are not under this the law has accomplished its first use in you so we have to keep moving verse 15 what then Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? All right, what's the answer? Don't look, don't look. What's the answer? No! <laughs> if anybody asks you, hey, should we just continue being terrible people? <laughs> and remember, this is my complaint with the NASB because this is such a, such a Shakespearean translation. May it never be. <laughs> a, a better translation would be, are you dumb or just stupid? Okay, that would be a better translation. This is an emphatic. That's why it's got the exclamation point. May it never be. We are so disappointed in you people. <laughs> How could you think such rotten thoughts with your sinfulness? Ha <laughs> ha. Because remember, all Bible people are British if you never actually watch those things. So, <laughs> no. The answer here is obvious, but it is not always obvious for the reasons that we think it is. So, let's start with Jesus because that's always a good starting place and build from there. Sound good? Okay, Matthew 7. Do not think that I came to abolish the law. I said Matthew 7, didn't I? Sorry, Matthew 5, it's 17. That's why I'm looking at the 7. So, Sermon on the Mount here. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of these, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever keeps them and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So here is where we shift from a first use of the law revealing your sinfulness to your third use of the law revealing your righteousness. Now, this is where I will annoy someone, I'm certain. <laughs> so how does Christ fulfill the law? Well, we have to stop and let's back up a little bit. To whom was the law given? In my Sunday school class, better nail this. Okay, it was given through Moses. I was not specific enough in this question, so I will ask it away. And again, my Sunday school class better get this. What kind of people was the law given to? There it is. A redeemed people. God has redeemed his people from Egypt. He has gone down physically into Egypt. Always remember that we went through, we covered this when we went through Exodus, but whenever you read, always remember that like the Lord is standing in the midst of the bush. When Israel is leaving um, Egypt, I'm getting my nations mixed up and starting to stutter here. We always get hung up on the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and the Lord is in the midst of the camp. The angel of the Lord is leading the procession. So God is in the midst of the camp. A pre-incarnate, what we call a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ is in the midst of Israel, leading them out of Egypt. God has shown up in person, be like, um, these are mine, and we go on that way. <laughs> and out they go. He has purchased them by his work. This is a picture of redemption. Um, this is one of those things that should go forward. You want to understand your prophets? I told you what. Understand what? Exodus. You want to understand what the prophets are calling you to? You better understand the work that's going on in Exodus. You want to understand your New Testament and how we do not have two salvations? You better understand how the prophets are calling Israel back to the same repentance that Moses is pointing them to. So this is a purchased people by God. They are redeemed. He is now giving them the law for what purpose? How, in this nation, apart from the other nations, will you demonstrate the righteousness of God? Not yourself. You are righteous because God is righteous and he will bless his people. How will you demonstrate the righteousness of God in this theocratic government, a government ruled by God? Well, that is the purpose of the law. It is to show you how you live and serve God. Now, that's important because what is Christ claiming to do? That he will fulfill this law. He will fulfill what? He will grant what to his people? He will grant them this righteousness that they do not have. He will accomplish all things and make his people righteous. What Israel could not do in their power, what Israel failed to do by corrupting the law, by changing the focus, by taking their eyes off of God, Christ will do by redeeming the people as Jeremiah promised with what? New heart, new mind, 
a redeemed people that will know the truth, will know the law, be instructed by God, and will be delivered moving forward. So when Jesus talks about accomplishing the law, it's not like, oh, look, I kept all the Pharisees' rules for you. That's no, 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 no. I have accomplished righteousness. The goal of the law was to produce a righteous people out of the redemption that God had already wrought. Christian, what's your goal here in Christ? Righteousness. It's a picture of sanctification. You are to be sanctified because you have been justified. How do you know then how to be sanctified? I'm so glad you asked that question (laughs) because Jesus tells you. So you get an example of the working out of this in Matthew 25. So Matthew 25, when, the, when God comes back, remember the, the lambs are on one side, the goats are on the other side. What made the, what made the sheep the sheep? This is one of the, most mis, the most, one of the most abused Bible verses in all of scripture. What made the sheep the sheep in Matthew 25? You did these things unto the least of these, my brothers. What made the goats the goats? He will answer them and say to you, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Remember, they're going, when did we see you in jail and comfort you? When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you naked and clothe you? Well, as you were serving your brothers, you were serving their Savior. I mean, this is the picture that Paul gets on the, on the, um, the road to Damascus. Paul gets knocked off the horse, you know, as, as um, oh shoot, what was that? Never mind, I can't think of the name. He was blinded by the light. <laughs> and now you all are singing that too. <laughs> I can't think of the name of the band for the life of me and it doesn't matter. So, no, it's not that one. It'll, you'll all think of it at three o'clock in the morning or when you can Google it at lunch. That's it, there you go. I knew, I knew somebody would have bad 70s rock. <laughs> so as Paul is blinded by the light, he says, the voice says what? Why are you persecuting me? Is Paul, is, Paul, is, is Paul running after Jesus trying to re-crucify him? No, he's running after who? His people. By persecuting the people, you are persecuting their Savior. As you serve his people, you are serving their Savior. As you ignore his people, you ignore their Savior. You, you um, forget Jesus and you are doomed. Hey, that worked out again. I got to use that twice today. <laughs> That's what's going on here. Why? What's your command in Christ? Because you don't get off the hook. Remember, Jesus, all come to me, all who are heavy, uh, heavy, uh, that weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You still got a yoke. What is it? John 13. A new commandment I give to you. Oh, here it is. That you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Why that? Well, what was the summation of the Old Testament law? How would you summarize the Ten Commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What Christ is telling you is, as the Holy Spirit comes, as you know the truth, as you know the law, you know what is righteous, you know what is sinful, because, again, how many times you've gone into sin and didn't know it? We covered this how many times? Yeah, exactly. You know every single time. You will... Serve God in Christ by loving his people and living your life as an offering unto his kingdom. This is why this matters, is how you define, this is why I cover this stuff about just ordinary life, how you give an offering unto God. It's not like, you know, remember all those motivational posters from the 90s? It shows like some person hiking the mountain, be like, perseverance, (laughs) commitment, dedication, you all had at least one friend who had one of those up in their bedroom. And I'm always, I always remind you that every, every dead body on Mount Everest was once, a high, was once a highly motivated person. <laughs> it is terrible, but it's a reality of life. You're not called in God to go accomplish the impossible. You're called to serve him in daily life. Loving your family, encouraging the brethren, serving the kingdom, worshiping God day in and day out. This is what you're called to do and how you're called to live. Every single day. These are your offerings. This is loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. These are the people that he has given to you. This is how you worship and serve. And this is the basic. This is how you demonstrate the change that is internal that Christ has wrought. This is how you, therefore, are demonstrating sanctification. This is how you're overcoming sin. Because stop. Um, How would you define your sin? See, if loving the Lord your God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength is, is how I actually am keeping these things, well, what's the opposite of that? So how would I demonstrate my hatred of my God? 
I don't know, worship idols, claim to be his child while living in the world, which would be a really broad definition of taking his name in vain. It doesn't just mean to speak it. It means to actually own the name of God and then to live how? Eh, we'll just continue in sin so that grace may abound. <laughs> what would it look like to hate my neighbor? I don't know. Killing him, stealing his stuff, lying to him, doing everything in my power to serve me as opposed to God. This is why these are the summations. This is what the work of the Holy Spirit is creating in you. Trust me, in Christ, you've never once been aggravated by anything and not sat down 20 minutes later and go, oh my goodness. (laughs) Have you? Even when you were justified in the moment, you still did what like an hour later? That's another one I'm going to have to apologize for. (laughs) And this is why, because you recognize what? I could have been loving. I could have been more gracious. I could have been forgiving. This is the working out of your salvation with fear and trembling. This is the working out of grace in your life. This is the loving neighbor. This is what's being accomplished. This is what Paul is getting on about, is your third use of the law, revealing your righteousness. You are supposed to be under grace, which means you have been forgiven, so you forgive. You have been shown loved, so you are loving and you are forgiving, and you are trusting, and you are all of these things. We, we, every so often we have this. How many, time, how many times you had somebody ask you for money, and you're going, oh, I don't know if I should give this person the money or not. I don't know. We get it too. We had somebody show up a couple weeks ago. You know what we did? We didn't know. We're not sure. So you know what we did? We gave him some money. Why? Because we have money in the benevolent fund. That's why we set money aside, and we don't know, and we're not sure. So what do we do? Do it anyway, because we don't know, and we're not sure. And if we're going to err, we're going to err on what side of things in this world. See, that's hard because the world wants you to be hard and it wants you to be cynical and it wants you to be distrusting of everything because it wants you to hate because this is what sin produces. It's a lot harder to say, no, I don't want to part with this, but I have it so that I can. And I'm going to err on the side of trusting in God and loving my neighbor and trusting that if you want to miss it, if you want to abuse the gift of God, you know who you're going to have to take that up with? Yeah, I'm gonna let you fight with Jesus. That yeah, have fun with that. You know, <laughs> have fun storming that castle, dude. Enjoy because we're gonna be good. Because I'm gonna stand with a clear conscience. That's the hope, and that's what's going on here. And that's why you don't just bleh, in your life and do whatever because you actually have a standard, and that standard demands something of you. Now, do not forget where you start because you have no hope of keeping that standard unless you first have what. When you don't know what to say, just say, if you don't have Christ. If you do not have the change of heart wrought by the accomplishment of his work, then you have no chance of making sense of this because you will get jaded and you will get bitter and you will get, you will, uh, what's the word? It just went right out of my head. I had it and it was gone. Cynical. You will get all of these things and you will hate the world and you will cling to the things that God has gifted you with simply because they're mine. Why? Because you people, how many times have I told you, be very careful about that. What's the first step towards really starting to cause problems in the world and getting rid of those guys over there? There's us and there's them. And every war in human history has done it, hasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) There's us and then there's them. And once we them them, now it's okay to do bad things to them. This is the danger in the world, is that our flesh gets up, and we start to rejoice in it, and we forget the standard by which we operate. And the standard by which we operate in all things is Christ, who he is and what he has accomplished. Yes, Christian, it means you're going to get taken advantage of. Yes, that means you're going to do things that you're going to regret later on, and you're going to sit there and go, well, maybe if I... Mm. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is your standard. This is your fulfilling of righteousness. Why? Because this is how Christ has built you in his image. And this is how he is building you by the power of his spirit. And this is why your life is not your own. And just in case you were forgetting, that's a nice little segue because we're going to come back to that idea in just a second. Verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey? Either sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. This is a fun little example because we we all love in the 21st century to talk about slavery, don't we? There's no pitfalls in that at all, is there? But it's a reality of human history. It's it's a reality of human existence. Therefore, it's also a really good example. Um, Who is Paul again? Roman church, when Paul decided to write you a letter, he goes, hi, I'm Paul, exalted apostle of Jesus. Shut up and listen. Is that how we started? 
Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Yeah, when Paul reminds you that when you present yourself as a slave, it is for obedience, and you're a slave of the one you obey, it's because Paul's hope is to obey whom? Christ. Now, why is Paul that way? Damascus Road, blinded by the light, knocked off the horse, change of heart, change of mind, clear understanding, which... You ever wonder about all those things you thought wrong in the past? Because I know too many of you are like me, and you wake up one morning, and you take a shower, and then you have that conversation with yourself from 1997, and you don't know why you're having it. <laughs> so Paul spent his entire life becoming an expert in the Old Testament law, according to, according to the tradition of the Pharisees, all of their additions, all of their commentaries. And then he woke up one morning and realized that he had not some of it wrong, but he had all of it wrong. You ever think Paul had those shower moments? Oh my goodness. (laughs) Like what kind of a doofus was I? And yet, all of those years of understanding, all of those years of learning, and all of those years of understanding it wrongly, give him the perfect foundation to go into a world that twists and contorts the righteousness of God in a way that tries to serve humanity, that he can do what? Give you these wonderful refutations to remind you that, no, 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 you're going to misunderstand this. You're going to apply this wrongly unless what? Things like John 8. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin, and the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Now, always remember you are free to do what? Not however you would like to live, but you are free to serve Christ. Remember, you are a slave to something. You are either a slave to your sin, or you are a slave to Christ who has redeemed you from your sin. Because remember, the, the, uh, the part we always forget about Ephesians 2, when you're saved by grace through faith, is always verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And the definition of those good works is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is your understanding. So verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So the Romans, so they and we are free in he, Dr. Seuss day. (laughs) So sorry, I have to mess with you every once in a while. So because of what Christ has accomplished, you are now Dead to sin because you are now dead in Christ. You are a slave to righteousness. You're not your own. This goes back to 1 Peter, right? 1 Peter gives you that lovely explanation that you rejoice in the salvation that God has given you, even though you're being tried and tested. That's like verses 3 through 5 of 1 Peter 1. And then you're being tried and you're overcoming. That's like 7 through 8 or somewhere in there. And then what is the part we read earlier? remembering that you should have a little bit of fear because you weren't redeemed by gold and silver. You know that, that stuff that's worthless that we throw into the fire and burn, but with the work of Christ, the precious blood of the Lamb. That's the hope that Peter is giving you. That's the reminder. You're not your own. You actually have something you're supposed to accomplish. So again, why? Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. You've actually been pulled out of something. This is Paul's celebration, 1 Timothy 1. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Go back to the celebration you get from John 8. Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. That freedom is found in death, death in Christ. But wait, there's more. Verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members I'm sorry, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. 
So because you are still a slave, but a slave to Christ, you are now actually accomplishing something good. So where you are dead in Christ, you are also alive in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now again, stop! If you forget step one, this is a beating. And I get that. What was step one? That you're actually transformed by the work of Christ. If you do not have this transformation, none of this is accomplishable. Not the first bit of it. Which is why, Christian, you have to remember the multiple uses of the law. You can't get to the third use where you're looking at your righteousness and you're looking at your sanctification unless you first started where? What's the first use of the law? The mirror. Who are you? This is how we have to remember we interact with the world because the temptation of humanity, this is what sinful humanity tries to do and unfortunately accomplishes way too often. And this is what the believing community all too often battles back with. Outside of God, what is the most powerful force on earth? Think about it for a second. It's obvious you deal with it way, off, way more often than you'd like to. Now, it's something man produces. Government. Yeah, but what's the second use of the law? Civil. What does the world do when it starts to enjoy itself? Is it makes laws to do what? To crush righteousness. To embrace sin. And too often our fight back is how? Oh yeah, you want to use the law in that manner? You know what we're going to do? We're going to use the law in the same way, and we're going to make laws to crush your sin. Ah, because that's how this will fix it. What has to be changed first, Christian? You change the heart first, then you renew the mind, and then the life changes on the outside. You can't change the life in the hopes that you'll change the mind in the hopes that you'll remove the heart of stone. It's never going to work. Never has, never will. Why? They're slaves of sin. And sinners do what, amazingly enough? They sin. You're supposed to be a slave of righteousness. Therefore, you know what their problem is and you know how to attack it. So go out into the world by what standard? Standard of righteousness. Serving God, loving Christ, and actually following what he has laid down. Again, this is supposed to be your difference in the world. This is how the light shines and how the salt is supposed to be sprinkled. What's that little dude that, that does all the videos? That's in there and <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about? Wears the sunglasses and he, he, always, he always cooks like some massive steak like the size of my head and in the end takes salt and goes... <laughs> that's supposed to be you in the world. You're supposed to be looking at these massive problems and be like, there's your salt. This is how it works. You think I'm kidding? Go look up the salt, dude, and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's hysterical. <laughs> he was a thing for like a minute and a half a couple of years ago. So this is how it works, though, is you're supposed to live differently. Now, again, we, because we get into our flesh, go, well, how should we live differently? Oh, I know. We'll dress differently. And then you start looking like the guy in the front of the Quaker Oats bag, and you're like, okay, I can't do this. I'm hot and sweaty, and it's miserable. I want a tank top, man. Oh, no, no, no. We will speak differently. How art thou? Well, that doesn't work either. This is one of my favorites. I was actually reading a book a couple of weeks ago that that was one of the arguments a guy was making. He goes, this is why churches should use the King James Bible, because it sounds like the Bible. What does that even mean, man? <laughs> Like, that doesn't even make sense. So if I don't have thous and these and, and drop a ye every once in a while, I don't sound biblical? That's dumb. That's a dumb argument. Like, there are better arguments, but... And, and I don't even hate the King James translation. I just don't love it. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. I just don't love it. But, like, that's just a terrible argument. It doesn't sound right. Well, that's not what living differently looks like. I've told you this before. You're supposed to have more in common with a Christian on the other side of the world than you do with the pagan down the street. Well, what do you have in common with the Christian on the other side of the world? Who has a different language? Who has a different culture? Who may be in a different life circumstance? Who may be richer, maybe poorer? How do you look different? Because you are against the things of the world. And whatever that means in your culture and in your society, the things that your culture has decided are the battle lines. And look, they used to be simple, didn't they? They used to be, well, how do you dress? Why are you dressing? Now what are they? Who are you? I mean, isn't this our fundamental question now? We used to joke about this where everybody went into like, humanity, where did we come from? Why are we here? Yet now it's, now it's definitional to who you are as a person. That I can be what I want to be when I decide to want to be it. That, that's not an external problem. That's an internal heart and mind problem. That's a brokenness at the definition of who I am made in God's image. That's a foundational 
issue. Why? Because this is what our culture wants to incentivize because our culture wants to war against God. Because all sinful culture wants to war against God because that's the whole purpose of it. How do you live against it? By standing in a definition that is defined on Christ. I am made in God's image by who he has made me and how he has redeemed me. And therefore, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I seek to serve him in these things. Which, sometimes that means you're really going to hate me. Because when you are standing against God, and I seek what is best for you and what honors God, I'm going to tell you when you're going astray. And, And we love that, don't we? Humanity just loves to be told when we do the wrong thing. Like, that's our favorite. Like, yay, I was bad today, and they called me out on it. Said no one ever. And yet, what's the most loving thing we can do? Yeah. I mean, this is one of my favorite examples. It loses its punch because you'll, you'll, probably, you'll probably get it, but it, you can only use this once on people. But if I told you there was a gang of men and they grabbed a guy and knocked him unconscious and then cut his heart out, what would you say? Like, that's awful, right? Until you find out that they're surgeons and it was in a hospital and they had to replace a valve and, you know, they, or they gave him a new one. See, yeah, had you in the first half, right? Now you go, well, it'd be horrible to knock someone unconscious and cut their heart out. Like I said, unless I'm a doctor and it's the best thing for their health to do, you know, because we're putting a new one in. This is how you're supposed to encounter the world. You want me to be loving by affirming your sin. That, that's an oxymoron. I can't love you while affirming that which will judge you. And therefore, I stand against the things of this world. Now, again, that's going to look different now than it might look 10 years from now than it looked 10 years ago. It might look different in a different country or a different state, but that's one of the ways that you stand apart and you actually live for God. Let's move forward, verse 20. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Yep. You know why? Because you didn't care. And so we said this, what does the pagan care about his sin? Nothing. He doesn't. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. Or as Jesus told the crowds in John 8, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now again, why is that true? Because Hebrews 11 is still true. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now again, why do you come to God? Because you've recognized your sin and you recognize his righteousness. No, don't recognize your sin. You're not going to recognize God's righteousness. You're not going to come to him. That's why Paul can say this. When you're a slave to sin, you're free in regards to righteousness because you don't have any and you don't care. Verse 21, therefore... What benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. See, how many of you in Christ have looked back upon your life of sin and go, you know, I really miss X, Y, or Z. (laughs) You might have that thought for a minute and then remember what was X, Y, and Z going to deliver to you? Death. What are the wages? What's the hope? There isn't one. This is, again, why the end of Romans 1 isn't what, is what it is. That they not only do these things, but they give hearty approval to those who do the same. Like, why do we, why do we as a society incentivize that which will destroy you? And try to penalize. I don't just mean legally, I mean societally. And penalize that which is good for you. I mean, you want to have some real fun? This is a good one for you. What's your first thought? Be honest with yourself. What's your first thought when I tell you that two 19-year-olds are getting married? <laughs> your, how many knee-jerk reaction was, oh, they're too young. It'll never work. So, so stop for a second. All of human history has been geared towards training people up to become adults so that they will have a family, raise children unto the glory of God, and build up their society. And we live in a world that when you hear of people attempting to do that, our first thought is, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> just, I'm just saying. 
And yes, I know what you, you, you know, and I know 18 people that were in that situation and it was a train wreck and it failed. Is that the problem? Why is it? Why do things fail? Because we fail because we're broken, sinful people. And amazingly, you put sinful people together. What will they do? They sin. So I always remind people that for all of those stories, you know, you will, you know, at least one success. Okay. You know, at least one. Because I was 21 and Cameron was 19 when we got married. And 20 years later, she hasn't killed me yet. <laughs> She's thinking about it. And I don't blame her. I mean, I, I've, I've told you before, just so you know, when it, when it happens, it wasn't an accident. But, you know. <laughs> but it's hysterical to me that get married, have children, grow together is anathema in our society. Why? Because the society is out to incentivize other things. It's out to incentivize. Now, again, if you didn't get married when you were 19 and have kids, did I call you a bad person? No. So don't, don't guilt yourself in any of that. However, the fact that we no longer as a society incentivize and encourage the things which have been routine for humanity for the last, you know, all of human history is more telling about us than it is all of human history. That we look at what God has called good and what God would have us to actually encourage and build up. And we have said, I don't know, that's a little dangerous. <laughs> Process that. Now again, every time we go away from the things that God has encouraged, every time we go away from the things that God has called good, we move towards something that God has either discouraged or outright called bad. What are the result of those things? Death. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Luke 9, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Galatians 8, the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And by the way, I get why you say that that 19, 20, 21 year old is too young. I know exactly why you say that. You know why? Because the way we raise and train children today, you know what they are? They're too young. You know what the failure of that is? The failure is not in the 19, 20, and 21-year-old. The failure is in us. The failure is in a community where we follow along with the world and incentivize childhood. We follow along with the world and we downplay responsibility. We follow along with the world and we say, no, 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 no. Be sweet little baby until the end of time. The call of Scripture is what? Grow up. Mature. Think. Have wisdom. We forsake that as a society. And what do we get? Why do we have 30-year-old children in our world? What did we create? Because we forsook what? We forsook the call to wisdom and accountability. And we did this not just in children. We did this in young adults, and we did this in teenagers, and we do it in adults, and we do, it, we do this all the time. It's constant. Why? Because we look at the things God has given to us, and we go, no, 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 we, we got this. What could possibly go wrong other than everything? Now, again, if that's you, or if you're sitting back going, stop it, my life didn't go the way I wanted it to go. Okay, did you do something wrong? Did you forsake what God has called? Did you live a life to your own flesh? I'm not going to tell you it's good, but you know what I'm going to tell you? There's a Savior, and there is redemption, and there is grace, and there is mercy and peace found in Christ. Because what's the starting point of Romans? If you forget Jesus and his accomplishment, you will get a beating here and have no hope. But this hope is there because Paul is talking to a church of Christians, trusting in Christ, trying to figure out how to put flesh on this. Christian, you have to live like that and recognize for that too Christ has died, that I continue on in his grace and his mercy because he has loved me and given himself for me. And that's why we can continue with verse 22. But now... Having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, in Christ, we don't receive our wages. I mean, you earn wages, right? No one has ever gone to work, gotten to the end of the day, received their paycheck and be like, thank you, benevolent overlord. I shall rejoice in your wonderful gift. No, you say what when the check isn't there? Where's my money? Unless you're me. No, 
and I, and I will tell you the story because it's funny because nobody, there, yeah, there's nobody here who's responsible for this. Um, ooh, double whammy. So I got hired. My first Sunday here was October 1st of 2017. So next Sunday actually marks my, my sixth anniversary here. Um, went to a council meeting and business meeting in October. Went to a council meeting and business meeting in November, and it was at the council and business meeting in November that somebody looked at the financial report and realized that nobody had paid me. <laughs> and I can still see the look on Bob Cotner's face. Some of you know Bob. But I can still see the look on Bob's face going, um, why was nothing out of this line item? <laughs> Can't not pay a man for six weeks. <laughs> It's just, the fact he's not yelling at us is a good thing. And I'm like, I figured he'd come around eventually. Somebody, <laughs> I mean, I was going to say something, but you know, <laughs> it was kind of funny because all of a sudden everybody looked at the financial report and went, <laughs> oops, <laughs> might want to pay the new pastor. <laughs> I mean, I would appreciate it. <laughs> so yeah, unless you're me just trying to be really nice because you don't know everybody that well, when, when the paycheck doesn't show up when it's due, what do you say? Wait a minute, I earned that money. Yeah, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is why you rejoice, because you were not owed righteousness, but you have received righteousness. You were not due grace, but you have received grace. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans 4. It was credited to him as righteousness. This is talking about Abraham. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. And this is why, again, Paul could summarize this, that in spite of Paul's knowledge of the law, knowing the corruptions that it has occurred, Paul could rightly in Christ understand in Philippians 3. And his hope is to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is where we rest. And this is why we can understand the world the way that we do. And this is why we can live the way that we do is because our hope is not in us. Our righteousness is not in us. It is in Christ. And our transformation is accomplished for us through his work. So as we live in the world, this is why I constantly remind you, see you, see how you live in the world and then run where? Back to Christ. How do I love my neighbor when I'm really not happy with them right now? Remember Christ. Remember whom you serve, remember why you live and what you're accomplishing, and live accordingly, because you have been transformed. And this is the empowering work that the Spirit does. The only reason it doesn't happen more is because we don't ask, and we don't look. This is what seeking and knocking and finding is actually about, is understanding the work of the Spirit and going, look, I'm telling you the way to go. Holy Spirit's in the corner going, look, I've laid out the path. You can either walk down it or I can kick you some more. All right, kicking it is. You know what he and you would both prefer? <laughs> the not kicking portion of the program. That sanctification is you going, ew, my flesh really wanted to go that way, but I'm tired of you kicking me, so I'm actually going to go the way that serves my Savior because that's actually what's right and good and what I really want. That's the hope. That's the joy, and that's the accomplishment. Let's pray.